Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 66. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by the coronary kid, Tom Smiley, and we're going to talk about Legacy. Why are we talking about heart attacks right now? Uh, oh yeah, it's not Friday afternoon. I, I guess it's not the right time for it. I don't get that reference. Don't worry about it, bro. Where else? Is at? it for... Oh, fuck. Bernie. My boy. Yeah. Bro, I'm praying for a quick recovery, man. That sucks, for sure. Yeah, I uh, I don't want to talk about, like, position within the Democratic primary, but he's he's going to take a little bit of a hit from that. He's my boy. So. Do you think so? Do you think that, that hurts his, his chances? I mean, it, it oh, should. Oh, I, I, think, I right? absolutely think so. You have, you have somebody who is as old as he is with a sort of major health issue happening. People are going to bring it up for sure. Yeah. So it definitely can't, it can't help. So... So what I was thinking about was like if it was a uh, like a rallying point, right? Like if it's like a sympathetic thing, like oh poor poor guy, you know. So yeah, you know like, what? Uh, Honestly, all he needs is a bunch of like, uh, Sudafed from the United Kingdom and a bunch of Adderall, and uh, he'll be all set to go. <laughs> What's that in reference to? The Sudafed. Oh, you haven't heard the Trump Trump abuses Sudafed thing? I've heard the Adderall thing. I hadn't heard the Sudafed thing. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a there's a new thing. Okay. Why has it got to come from the UK? Isn't the one at CVS fine? Uh, I guess the medication in the UK has an extra amount of the active ingredient that they took out of the one in the US. Ah. So, like, it's a different formulation that has more of the boost. Yeah. And in that uh, Cinco de Mayo picture... That he was like, I'm eating a Taco Bell and Taco Bowl in Trump Tower. If you look in the picture, in his desk drawer, he's got a bunch of Sudafed from the UK. Oh, nice. And the rumors were during the apprentice, he was just railing Adderall and just popping a bunch of Sudafed. Yeah, I'd so. heard I'd heard about that stuff. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, wouldn't shock me. Like, Adderall's so much fun. But <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so how's your weekend, bro? <laughs> anyway, anyway, now that we've talked for five minutes about politics that literally nobody wants to hear about. No. <sighs> let's talk about Oko. No. Let's talk no. about uh you got you got you got two letters right, bro. Let's talk about the Joker. That was a fucking great movie. You saw you saw a comic book movie? I saw my second comic book movie, bro. On the anniversary of my first when I went to see uh Venom last year i saw the joker this year there you go so i've heard very good things i haven't seen it but uh but i've heard it's very uncomic booky but very satisfying for people who like very dark themed comic stuff yeah i don't know about the whole comic angle like i never read the joker comics or whatever but it was uh it was a great movie i thought it was really uh really fun Good, good. I haven't seen it. I probably won't be able to. I've seen one movie in the last year. I'm probably going to get to see Star Wars over Christmas break, but we'll Wait, see. Wait, what movie did you see? Uh, I Honestly, I don't even remember. We, <laughs> we, we saw we saw um, Infinity Wars, the second one. So whenever... The last time I was at the movies was when that came out. Okay. I, I think it was like May. I never heard of Infinity War. Uh, the Avengers. Mm. The last one. Endgame. Yes. Gotcha. So, yeah, I uh, had a pretty good weekend, man. I got to golf twice. Uh, my friend joined a country club up in New Hampshire, so I was up there. 
And then I got back and met up with our boy Steve Hartford. So that was fun. We played some old school at Nick's house with uh, Paulson. And yeah, it was a pretty chill weekend. But I kind of had the itch because our buddies Topher and Adam and D. Wu were all up at Montreal. Mm-hmm. And uh, yep. to- Topher uh, actually did really well. He, he cashed. He was telling me. He uh, drafted some good decks. But uh, I was thinking about our trip last year, man. And I really wish I could have gone this year because I like throwing a lot more than Ravnica. Oh, man. Yeah, so my uh, my buddy JT and Mike and my new neighbor, Pat, who I've been friends with for a while but lives right down the street from me, went to Montreal. And Mike finished in the semifinals and quarterfinals of the PTQs he played in. I know that JT ate a bunch of poutine and Pat had a good time. So I, uh, I'm i out of the loop when it comes to traveling to events because I still haven't unpacked everything. My money's kind of tied up right now, and uh, I just got so much stuff going on, but I can't wait to get back into it. Yeah, I'm man. definitely going to be at the LOL event. Oh, yeah, it's in like three weeks now, 26? Yeah, so we should uh, we should pump a few charity drives we're doing. One for the Leaving Legacy event. I know you're not going to be there, but we're going to be doing another food drive. And Teabag Tom, uh, famously Tom from the Dead Format, is doing an Extra Life campaign where they're raising money that we'll have the link for in the show notes as well. Hell yeah. Did he yeah. plug that in our Discord? He did. Yeah, I talked awesome. to him today. Perfect. Yeah, that that's so cool that they're doing that. And yeah, hopefully the LAL thing goes as well as the last few have. It's awesome that we can do that every uh, every few months with those guys. Yep. Unfortunately, Pat couldn't join us this evening to uh, come on and pump it himself, but I'm sure he's doing plenty of that. You know what they they have a pretty good uh, media media outreach with their podcast. Yeah, they're doing something right. So yeah, yeah basically, uh, other than that, everything's been going uh, pretty well. How how are things with you? Oh uh, man, super busy. People around the house uh, that isn't even set up yet doing twenty five hours a week of services with my kid and like all the stuff, grad school and unpacking and. Just life is crazy. It's good crazy, but it's crazy. Damn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a lot, man. It is. So have it you had a, ch- had a chance to play with uh, Throne yet? No, I haven't. I Honestly, I haven't played Magic this week. I didn't get a chance to go to a pre-release. I didn't get a chance to go to Montreal. I haven't drafted it. I have been following the results. Because mm-hmm. it's like kind of our job to make sure we stay on top of it. And there were some cards, namely Oko, that no. are really doing way more than I thought. And I know there, I thought it was going to do more than you did, but people are hyped about that card. Yeah, I wouldn't say mainly Oko. I would say mainly the card that we missed would be Oko, because I, I didn't have it on my radar at all. But uh, it, it has showed up, right? There was uh, So we had some events this week. I guess we'll start there. We had SCG Philly, which was a team open, and then the accompanying Legacy Classic, obviously. Yep. And then we just had a huge deck dump with tons of cards from Throne in it. So I believe in 22nd place was Zach Canner, and there was another rug player also from the open who had Inoko in their rug deck. Yeah, but... So you have you have this event, right? Yeah. You have the online stuff, and then you have everybody who's talking about trying it. Right. And I feel like those events, 
even though they happen this weekend, they're kind of lagged from what's going on. And there's a lot of people that believe that, like, Oko has a spot in the rug deck for sure, and it fixes a lot of the bad matchups that the deck has, or it fixes a lot of the weaknesses subtly by turning things into 3-3s and stealing stuff. Yeah, I so it's kind of a weird spot to get into it because I was going to reference it more with uh, in reference to the meta at large. But I do agree, like, some of the stuff I was reading on Twitter today about, like, applications for Oko and, you know, like, against Emrakul and stuff like that, Grizzlebrand, seems great, right? But the problem that I have is those decks just didn't show up at all in, in any of these events. Now, did they not show up, or were they a victim to a rug metagame? Well, so there, there's kind of multiple both, things. Right? What? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a combination of both, and we can't tell without all of the data, but uh, we thought that Rug was going to completely push those out a few weeks ago, and then we had a week where they just all broke out. Right. Right? So I'm unsure exactly what's going on with that, but we're we're kind of in a spot now where we're going to be lacking big events for a while. And it's it's time to fine tune and figure everything out. All right, so you want to start with the classic then? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so the classic in Philly was won by Casey Lancaster with Lance, and that doesn't shouldn't surprise anybody. Great Lance player. Uh, Second place, green-white depths, which is like the Maverick depths we've been talking about for a while. Yep. Followed by turbo depths, followed by Brian Cook playing Tess. And then we had two rug decks and a four-color Delver and a four-color Control rounding out the top eight. Okay. And then the rest of the uh, top 16 was three more rug decks, a blue-red Delver deck, Burn, LED Dredge, Naya Depths, and Black-Red Reanimator. So that paints like a, a very stark picture, right? Like that's it's a ex- very broad picture. Broad, you think? I mean, it's a lot of Delver, and it's some decks com- like designed to fight through Delver decks, like the Dredge deck. Right. But you still see Burn. You see a bunch of Depths. You see people who are very good with their specialties, right? Like Casey and Bryant with Lands and Tests. It's obviously a lot of Delver. Yeah, I mean, that looks super kind of linear to me. That looks like Rug and decks that can beat Rug because they, they don't worry about Counterspell, like, because they're making Merit Lage or they're going off, like, you know, Tess or Dredge. Okay, well, I mean, you can't, right now, with Rug being such a high percentage of the meta, it's very, it's very difficult for you to say, all right, I'm going to play something that doesn't beat Rug. Right. Right. Like, you, you just, you probably can't right now. Agreed. So. Yeah. It looks, it looks like, uh, extremely polar to me. Like, this is, uh, almost like a vintage top eight or top 16, right? Okay. I, I understand what you're saying. And burn is kind of interesting because it, it does beat rug, you know, a fair percentage of the time. It's, it's not like rug has anything special to stop them. Like that, the other decks don't. You know, it's uh, 
it's a deck that can definitely get him. It's got a much quicker clock. It's it's an interesting choice, man. I don't know how often it just falls on its face against the depths deck, but other than that, it seems well, like probably probably quite a bit. Like yeah, if you would you would think of a deck that just has a is a turn turn and a half faster than burn, right? You, you would think depths. So you think that burn would be sort of invalidated by depths right now? I think that that would be one of its worst matchups. I think that it's probably trying to prey on the four color control decks that are trying to prey on rug. Would right. be my sort of take on where burn is positioned. I would say that it can prey on rug too, but it's interesting, man, because we're talking about Oko now. One of the one of the first matchups that came to my mind with Oko was burn, right? Because it's just sort of like gain three life a turn if you need to. Yeah, but I mean, that's really mana intensive. Right. And I know that you have the soft counters to bridge yourself to get there, but man, that's a stretch. I don't know. So what else would you say that it's good against? I guess we'll just hop into this since we already uh, breached the topic. So I think that you're, you're really looking to get value from the, the sort of steal, right? Mm. And any matchups where... You're playing a low number of threats, and it really makes an impact to take your opponents. Like the Rug Delver Mirror, seems like seems like it would be great. Also, it's like a non-creature based threat. So you were playing with Dak Faden in Rug Shells a while, like a while ago, and you loved it. And I feel like it kind of fills a similar role. It's weird they don't do the same thing, but that that three mana Planeswalker spot in Rug that just ends up being an extra value card. Yeah, for the record, I never loved that baby. Tom did, but uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I group I group you guys together. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I, I'll I'll take it. But uh, he's probably a better player right at this point. But basically, yeah, I, I was always kind of lukewarm on Dak, and I'm kind of lukewarm on this card. So the thing is, like, it seems to me like a good game one mirror card because yeah, you steal their delvers, right? But the other threats in the deck, because of how uh, Oko is worded, it's going to miss Tarmogoyfs once they get to like a reasonable size, and it can't target True Name Nemesis. And those are usually the relevant threats in the mirror. Okay. So you have to turn the Goyf into a 3-3 and then steal it, and then the Goyf's still a 3-3, right? So I wonder if it's just going to get invalidated by like deck building decisions it's it's not like um like i think it would be really good against young pyromancer for example or dreadhold arcanist but it seems like everybody's moving away from that so i'm just wondering if maybe it's it's good right now but people will adjust to it subtly with those changes we sort of just mentioned i mean it might obviously if if you're able to get um Sorry, what was I going to say? If you are able to invalidate your opponent's Tarmogoyf, it really makes a difference because I feel like a lot of the rug decks are really starting to realize how great Tarmogoyf is as a threat right now. Like, it's starting to come back into favor. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just turning into a 3-3 and then it can't ever get through or anything. Two of them can't right. get through a true name. Yeah, that's a good point. So... 
Uh, spoiler alert, but I also noticed the top three placing rug decks from the team open, maybe because this was on their radar, had already moved to Mandrills. Like, uh, the importance of, of Tarmogoyf and getting getting through true names, I guess. Yeah, but that that also gets blanked by Tarmogoyf. Right? Like, Mandrills gets over true name, but it doesn't get over Tarmogoyf. Right. So, I'm I'm not sure. To be honest. Yeah, it's kind of a wheel that can keep rotating, I guess, as people sort of metagame against each other. I can see where you're going with that. Yeah, I don't know, man. So it does seem, it seems really good against Chalice, right? Because that's always sort of been the problem it, with, with game one with this deck is if a Chalice slips through, you're kind of fucked. Mm-hmm. And this can take care of Chalice. And it seems really good against like uh show and tell and reanimator you know big fatty's coming into play obviously yep but we didn't see show and tell and we didn't see chalice at all show up so that that's sort of what i was wondering is just like were those decks were those already good matchups and therefore held down by rug already and is this card making those better because i'm definitely willing to consider it as a cyborg card right now Mm -hmm. i'm just questioning like the the main deck applications right like uh, against miracles, for example, like what is it? What would it do against like? Uh, I guess against the blue white red mentor deck, it's pretty pretty sick. Yeah, we haven't seen a ton of actual miracles. We've seen we've seen the Jeskai mentor, right. which like it, it does quite a bit against. Yeah. Um. Against traditional miracles, it's playing like one mentor, one entreat the angels, and a bunch of snapcasters. It doesn't really do a lot. But it is a Planeswalker that stays in play, and if it stays around long enough, you can start turning your food tokens into 3-3s. I know that's not great, but like... No, that is legitimate. It's a a reusable threat, right? Yeah, I wasn't really thinking about that, to tell you the truth, so that is definitely legitimate. Alright, so yeah, maybe I just need to play with it and see see how it plays, because I haven't played with it yet, and I still feel kind of the same way I did last week about it, but... Obviously, a lot of good players have, have messed with it, and uh, I saw Lawrence tweeting about it, and he's been right about a lot of shit lately, so yep. uh, I should and probably listen. I, I was in the same boat. I thought it was a little bit better than you were giving it credit for last week, but in no way did I thought it was going to make it into, or did I think that it was going to make it into a very tight three-minute spot in that rug deck, but everybody who I've talked to that has been playtesting with it loves it, so... All right. So moving on to the team open, it was extremely chalk. In the top 28, I don't know why they get 28 deck lists, but that's what they gave us. I think that was probably everybody in day two. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, in the top 28, there were 11 rug Delver decks, uh, four blue-white-red mentor decks, four LED decks, which were uh, Dredge and two ants and a Tess, I believe. Mm-hmm. Three Loams. Uh, one was Green White, one was Naya, one was uh, Buddy Jonathan Orr playing the uh, traditional Loam deck with Chalice. Now, when you say, like, the first two, yeah. those were, like, New Loam, yeah. One Loam, they're under one, and then John was playing traditional... Loam, yeah. Four, yeah, the four-color Loam that you think about. Right. And then three blue-white Stoneblade decks, 
and then one Bomberman, one Gak, and one Aluren. The Aluren? I mean, man, people do well with it, but it always comes out of left field for me. Yeah, it's a good deck, man. I honestly, I think that it's a, a better deck. I've, I've sort of always held this opinion. I held it with Deathrite and now even post-Deathrite. It can fuck people up, you know? It definitely can. And, I mean, Bomberman, I I think right now that's the best Chalice deck. I think Chalice is not in a great spot right now. But if I was going to play Chalice, I'd play Bomberman, so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So yeah, in this top 28, we see two Chalice decks. We see Bomberman and we see Agrolong. And zero Grizzlebrands in this whole top 28. It's just wild. <sighs> yeah, I mean... It, it would be really interesting to see exactly what's going on with that versus like who sh- who chooses to bring it in a field like that the high representation of delver yeah it just it might not it might not make sense to play grizzlebrand if you're going to be playing against rug delver so much so dredge and hogak and the other ways of going about graveyard attack seem like a better option right now yeah no, I mean they're faster and they can play through counter spells or not care about counter spells. So, well, they're better against surgical too. That's true. Right? Yep. That I think that's the big thing. That's absolutely true. So yeah, I, I kind of alluded to this before, but the the three rug decks that were in the top eight of the team open and the usual caveat of being a team open, but with the caliber of these players, I wouldn't actually give that caveat this time it was daryl Ayers, noah walker and andrew backstrom were the three rug players in the top eight and they all were playing hooting mandrills and they were all playing four stifles as opposed to the rest of the top 28 the other eight rug decks which were not playing stifles and usually not playing hooting mandrills well daryl was daryl played the same list or very close to the same list in atlanta right or was it in an online event last week? No, I, I mean, it might be both, but I think it was the, like, PTQ at Atlanta, yeah. Okay, so he obviously does a ton of playtesting and figured out that in the rug mirror, that's where he wanted to be. He wanted to have Stifle. Yeah. And we're at a time right now where, like, the game's over, but a lot of people weren't predicting playing around expecting stifle and that's the time that you want to play it so you have these rug decks playing like one extra land getting higher up on the curve playing like four three drops and not as much just not as much gas in the one and two drop spot cutting tarmogoy for true like three true names and Stifle getting one land can really cut off a lot of your opponent's game plan. So I liked the idea of this week of playing Stifle. We'll see We'll see what happens next week. If more people start to play Stifle, it gets worse, and then the no bad cards rug deck gets better. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, there's the playing around it aspect, but there's also just like, if you look at the top 16 from the Classic and the top 28 from this team open, there's there's no Chalice decks anymore, right? And there's... There's hardly any Grizzlebrand, although it does have some applications in, in those matchups. But there's no Death and Taxes either, you know. So 
a lot of these decks, Stifle's really good against. You know, like I love Stifle. If if you're talking about the the main combo decks being Ant, Tess, and LED Dredge, and then a huge percentage of the field being Rug, followed by Blue White Red Mentor, Stifle's fucking great, right? Yeah, well, I mean, Stifle Stifle's still pretty good against some of the other decks you mentioned too. Like Stifle against Death and Taxes gets quite a bit. Yeah, I still cut on post board. I I mean, like I'll leave one usually, but mm-hmm. these are the the like meat and potatoes. Like these are all fetch land decks. These yep. are you know these are like uh, prime targets. So you are you are absolutely right. I think that this is like it might just be here to stay. I understand what you're saying about like people not expecting it, but it could just even if people do expect it, it could just be correct, right? If we continue to stay in the metagame we're in now, I could definitely see that argument. But I think that every time we see events happen, we're getting a cycling and that people are going to react and adjust to it, which will make it less good next time. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I feel you. So thinking about like metagaming around Stifle with like the, the no bad cards list... They were already up to 19 lands with, like, a Fiery Islet, usually. Yep. Would you consider, like, going up to a 20th land? Or, like, what what direction would you take that deck, really? Because there's only so much sort of playing around Stifle you can do. When you look at your opening hand, and it's a good hand, but your only lands are, like, you know, a fetch and a wasteland or something. Right. I think that they need to reevaluate their curve. Now, obviously, their average converted mana cost is very low because they're playing a bunch of cantrips and a bunch of free spells. But their average threats costed about two. Like, they were playing less of the low-cost threats compared to what Rug Delver traditionally had. So they were relying more on their three drops where maybe, maybe going forward that might not work. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. So yeah, those were my big takeaways. I wanted to shout out real quick uh, ninth place in the team open, uh, Danny Batterman with uh, Green White Depths. I know he's been working hard on that deck. He's been getting a lot of reps in the California area. He's a good dude. Really like Danny. And uh, yeah, great showing in Legacy. He uh, day-tuned Seattle last year. I remember seeing him there uh, with Green Black Depths at the time. He's playing like the Dark Confinant version. And now apparently he's moved on to green white and he's doing really well. So it's great to have him in Legacy. He's a, usually a vintage ringer, but he's kind of off it at the moment. So nice. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard negative things from the vintage community. Yeah, but dude. <laughs> when when are we ever hearing vintage is great right now? When is when was the last time that happened? Right before Saga, I think. <laughs> okay. Honestly, like, what was the heyday of Vintage? I probably wasn't uh, playing during that time. I, I am not sure. Maybe before Mirrodin Block? I've heard right before Transfer Vintage was pretty sweet. Okay. I can I can understand that. Transfer is not a fun card to play against. Yeah. So also, looking at these rug decks, just going back to this for a second, through the, the top 11 rug decks from the team open, there mm-hmm. was... Only a full playset of Dreadhorde Arcanist. There was one, two players had one each, and one player had two. 
Yeah, I think tr- the stock list we were seeing had already cut down to one. Right. And I'm not sure if that was in response to, like, people bringing in graveyard hate against that old version of the rug deck. Mm-hmm. Because the version that was playing, like, four four Arcanists, three Renin Six, just graveyard effects were very, very solid against that deck. And trimming down makes sense. Plus, like, your Using your mana a lot more efficiently in the newer versions, like you're not, um, uh, you're trying to curve out more one, two, three, or set up your cantrips to curve out one, two, three. And an early Arcanist, like a turn two Arcanist, when you want to play a true name in your next turn, doesn't, doesn't work well with what you're trying to do curve wise. Yeah, agreed. I just think it's interesting because, you know, Two, three months ago, we were saying, like, oh, you know, I guess I was wrong about Arcanist, and it's, it's just here to stay now, you know, it was, it was a four, literally, people were playing four of them in Blue-Red and Grixis, and then it was being incorporated into Rug at three, and then two, and it's just funny to me how it's, it's just fallen off. Well, one, I think it was an over-reliance of those versions of the value rug deck on the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And, man, like, you, you played against it. That card is really powerful. Yeah. But now that deck is better balanced to be able to deal with graveyard hate. Like, you bring in the graveyard hate and you're only dealing with Ren. You're not shutting down a four of threat and that. They're playing Hex Drinker in half of those spots. Yeah. And even though we weren't super high on Hex Drinker, it lowers the curve of their threats and gives them 50% extra turn one drops. Right? Yeah. So, like, there, there's a lot of stuff that's going on with all these changes that might not necessarily be about just the card, but it's CMC and how threat, like, how damage threat that card needs to be in that slot. So we're seeing more Hex Drinker, more Tarmogoyf, more Mandrills, rather than trying to like grind ahead on cards and kill people later. Yeah. They're just trying to get people dead. No, I totally agree. And that's the thing, right? Like, Arcanist is good against, against let's say, Ant, you know? Like, it's a, it's a good card because you get up cards and you get to sculpt your hands for the Yeah, but wouldn't you want, rather battle. just hit for like 5-5-5 five, five, five and then kill them? Exactly. Yeah, you'd rather, you'd probably rather just clock, even if you you know, do get to draw an extra card and sculpt your hand. That's nice, but getting them dead is, is even nicer. Especially against a deck like Ant or Tess, where, like, a lot of the times they're just killing you with Past in Flames, but killing people really... This is so dumb to say. Killing people hurts ad nauseum, and <laughs> if you're playing against Tess, that's kind of a line you want to take. Yeah, for sure. And especially with, like, Veil of Summer and all the stuff that, that they can bring in now. Mm-hmm. Like, you can sculpt your hand and still lose when you're both at seven cards, right? Yep. So, yeah, it, it just seems like Get Him Dead might just be the better line. I just think it's interesting, man. But, yeah, it's it's crazy to see, you know, we got 44 Legacy decks here, and there's no Death and Taxes, there's no Elves, no Show and Tells. No- it, so... Okay, so show and tell, like it's a product of the Delver environment, right? But do do, do you think that decks like Elves, Death and Taxes are like actually dead now? 
Or do you think it's just a product of people being afraid to play them because of the amount of uh, Plague Engineer and things they were seeing before? Because honestly, Plague Engineer pretty much disappeared. Right. So is it is it time for those tribal decks to make a comeback? Or like, is Rug an actual bad matchup for them now? I don't think that... Uh, let me think about this for a second. So it's a paper event, right? So yeah. you're you're always going to have Death and Taxes players there. So I have to believe that Death and Taxes players showed up. No, and, but like you, like Grand Prix Atlanta was a paper event, right? And there were 10, 11 people out of the over a thousand that showed up with D and T day one. No, bro. So I actually went back and looked at that when we were yep. done recording, and they grouped Death and Taxes together with Stoneblade for that. I don't know uh, why they did that, but it was actually almost five percent of oh. of day one. Yeah. Okay, I take back everything that I've said about death taxes since then. I mean, it's still not a great number, and, and it might have even been lower. Yeah, it might have been four percent or something. But for some reason, yeah. But the, it if it was four percent, the conversion rate was one person. Like there was one death and taxes player to make day two. Yeah, I mean, who knows what percent it was, but but for whatever reason, they grouped it with Stoneblade. That, that was fucking stupid of them to do, but yeah, that there's somewhere north of, of the number that we thought there were. But anyway, okay. I have to believe that people brought it. It's still showing up in the deck dump, so people are definitely still trying to grind it. They've made you know these necessary adjustments of like giver of runes instead of mother of runes for the X one. Yeah. And like playing two Tomic and yep, exactly. everything else pretty much remaining the same. Yep. Yeah, everything else is pretty stock, but I I don't know, man. Like I have to believe that there were I, I don't know how many teams there were, like three, four hundred at this event, but I have to believe that at, at least some number, you know, ten maybe death and taxes players showed up and none of them converted. Okay, I mean, I I can see that for sure, but I think there's like a fear around playing tribal decks now that is gone, or that like that should be gone based off of what we're seeing. Right. The tribal decks got hated out by like the four color Delver deck and the rug deck splashing for Plague Engineer and Abrupt Decay and all the stuff, and we're just not seeing it. So maybe it just temporarily pushed them out. And now they're actually good matchups, even though those cards are gone and everybody's like, damn, why was I even playing these decks to begin with? Or it, it could be that they're sort of pro- like ripe to return. I'm not sure. There's also this strange bias with team events where like people might not know much about Legacy, but they'll think, oh, I heard Death and Taxes was bad three weeks ago or whatever, so they'll choose their teammates based on that right or yeah the, there's a story that one of the storm pilots was saying on twitter where like they they were set to play on a team and they told their team they were playing ant and their team was like no that's a bad deck you can't play with us and then that team was out halfway through day one and they ended up cashing in day two. Oh, sick yeah good for them yeah for sure that's uh that's pretty sweet that's justice, I guess. But yeah, that's exactly the effect, right? Like somebody, let's say that you thought Infect was good, but you had to convince two people that Infect was good in this meta. You're not going to be able to do it, right? 
So it's either you have people that trust you, people you always play with, and they'll let you play your deck, or you have to audible to something like Delver or Devs. Yeah, I mean, like, you you want your friends who you're playing with to, like, keep you reasonable, but not overly restrict you. Right. So, I I don't know. I guess it's a balancing act. Because sometimes you want to play a deck that's actually bad, and you should tell your friends not to play it. But uh, a lot of the time, this is not true. What do you make of no Eldrazi? I think that Eldrazi as a deck, when we started to see back to basics, see a ton of play, started to sort of drip out of the metagame, where people didn't want to completely play against Stoneblade and back to basics. And as soon as you start to see legacy decks drip out of the metagame, those people are picking up something else. And I think that one those players picked up something else. And two, Chalice isn't as good as it once was. So you can't rely on your turn one Chalice to actually get there anymore, even against Delver. I think Bomberman is the better Chalice deck, and I I think Eldrazi is kind of like another boring tribal deck that doesn't get crushed by Plague Engineer, but isn't as powerful as it once was. Yeah, and Depth seems like a pretty bad matchup. Well, you have Wasteland. You're never going to cast an Endbringer against Steps, but like, you have that Pipe Dream. Um, so, I feel like Rug shouldn't be a bad matchup, but it probably is, just looking at the numbers that we see. If Eldrazi was a positive matchup against Rug, we would see it more than once, probably. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, the number of non-basics that they play. Like, you just get locked under Ren on turn three or whatever, and the game's over, right? And it's not like you yeah. have a lot of ways to interact with that. So I just wonder if Ren just totally invalidates the deck. Yeah, Ren is probably the piece that completely changed it. Your chalices don't matter as much anymore because you're going one, two, three a lot more. And your twos are game-ending like Ren. So that's probably it. Yeah, it's just crazy, man, because that was like, you know, I don't know, 5% of the meta at least for for two years. Yeah, well, I think that was that was one that was budget considerations. And I guess if, if we're going to start to see Storm at the clip that we're seeing it mm-hmm. with like three in every top 16, Eldrazi is, or Eldrazi is probably one of Storm's worst matchups, right? Yeah. They have a clock disruption plus chalice. And that's what none of those pilots want to see. Sideboard ley lines. Yeah, it's it's uh it's interesting. I don't ever think Storm in paper is going to actually end up warranting that much consideration. And I I always say this because like you have the masters, right. the people that like crush the tournaments they play in because they're perfect with the deck, but the average player is not going to get there. You're never going to go to a grand prix and have it be. 19% ant like it's right. just not gonna happen so uh, I don't know I'm yeah I don't want to say you can ignore it but uh, I don't think that ant is gonna shape the metagame the way that Delver does no certainly not but I, I could see I could see where you're coming from I guess that it, it could prey on like a winner's metagame but as far as budget consideration like I just wanted to mention that we had the the Legacy Pro Tour, right? Like the Team Pro Tour that they had, the 25th Anniversary Pro Tour. 
Yeah. And Eldrazi was like the second most played deck, if you recall. If you if you aggregate the small and the large versions. Yeah. So I think that it just really was a legitimate choice before Ren, right? And that or maybe even I should say before Warps, War of the Spark. But no, they got great creator at War of the Spark, so it was really Ren. Okay. I can agree with that. It's interesting, man. It it just seems to have really disappeared. But yeah, you want to move on? This is this is what I've been waiting for, man. This is what the people have been waiting for too, I'm sure. The Legacy League. <sighs> this is where we get to find out. This is our so many insane plays report card, where we get to see if we were right about our predictions. Well, everything that we predicted is probably going to be in the deck dump because fucking everything is going to be in the deck dump. <laughs> this was a fucking crazy deck dump, bro. This is up there with the the one that we recorded live for. Nothing nothing will beat that one. No. But I just wanted to mention real quick before we get started, there were zero copies of Fabled Passage in the deck dump. And you mentioned it during the set review. It wasn't on my list, but you did mention it towards the end and I just sort of dismissed it. And we Uh what card was this? Fabled Passage. So it's it's a uh, Evolving Wilds, basically, but if you have four lands, oh, okay. it comes in on yeah. that. Yep. And uh, a listener of ours, Tom Cairns, uh, Teabag Tom. Yes. You might have noticed he's been conspicuously absent from the deck dumps lately. He hasn't really... Uh, luck hasn't fallen his way. He scoops a lot of matches because he's playing at work, but... Have you... Have you... Are you about to make the comment that he has been playing that card and high on it, but yeah. has not been winning? No, he 5-0'd his first league with it. Oh, But it okay. was it was the day after this deck dump came out. I got you. So, so I saw that, and I, I thought that it was playable. I didn't think it was like Prismatic Vista, but I, I thought that it potentially could see play. So there's one thing I missed about it, what, like uh, when we were discussing it last week. Mm-hmm. It doesn't deal you any damage. And one thing with playing the Ren decks, because the deck that he's playing, uh, he was on a few episodes ago, so people might know this, but the, the four-color snow deck, like the snow control, with with Rens, you end up a lot of times just using the same fetch land over and over to get like lands you know, two through six because of the mm-hmm. way Ren works. And if it's a Fable Passage, you can effectively gain five life in that process. But also switching your Fetchland Suite to like four Prismatic Vistas, four Fabled Passages, and then maybe like a Scalding Tarn and a Misty, mm-hmm. you can just play all basics and you know not have to not have to play any dual lands anymore. That makes a lot of sense. So he really liked it, man. He said that the life loss for sure won him at least one one match that he played. Well, with Burn. I don't want to say being a legitimate contender, but like showing up quite a bit, which is always going to like start more people to say, all right, oh, I can play this now. Um, having having a fetch that doesn't cost you life kind of makes sense. Yep. I don't know if you want to like consider burn in what's going on, but if you're playing a four color pile deck with Ren, I mean... Burn, burn wants your matchup. Oh yeah, oh god. So yeah. anything, anything you can do to mitigate it would be better. So if you can invalidate price progress entirely, 
and then also, you know, take three, four less damage over the course of a game. That just seems great. Yeah, they need to print price in standard. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be that'd be pretty sweet, man. But also, uh I just wanted to mention real quick, he uh one other thing that he mentioned because I said like how awkward is it when you open up the hand with like you know two fabled passages and have to just play a tap land turn one and he was like I don't really have many turn one plays anyway I'm usually just playing an astrolabe and looking at his deck construction he's right you actually can get away with it like just fetching a tap land on turn one which seems seems crazy because that's not where we were a few months ago but I couldn't really argue with that logic so I do think that that card deserves to be on people's radar there you go. Get that out of the way. Alright, so what else do we have in this deck dump? You have a lot of notes, man. Bro, these are all new cards, so, you know? So first of all, Yozo. Do you know who Yozo is? Uh, Yozo or Yosoizi? Yozo. Okay, Yozo. Yeah, Yozo. Yeah. Our yep, boy. Yozo. Our boy Yozo with Grixis. Um, with Bone Crusher. And Drown in the Lock. So there was one Drown in the Lock main and one Drown in the Lock in the side. But the uh, the bo- this was one of the two decks that played Bone Crusher. So this is like sort of like the Ninjas deck that we've seen t- traditionally. Mm-hmm. And sort of like a Grixis Control deck. I don't really know how to describe this without just reading all the cards. But it's got one Eureka. It's got two Plague Engineers, two Snapcasters, but three Bone Crusher Giants, and this 5 0 So, obviously, some people think it's worth playing. So, again, flexible threat, right? Yep. yep. Like, you have a deck like this that has a bunch of, like, modular spells, and sometimes you need to close games. Those Grixis decks, a lot of the times against combo, really want to clock, and although a 3-mana 4-3 doesn't really scream this is the clock you want, it's better than just trying to attack with Strix all the time. Yeah. Right? So, I can see it. I didn't I didn't see it in that shell, but they're way more creative than I am. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Yozo. We love you. So, the next deck is Fedorusher with Brazen Grixis Delver. Uh, the Brazen <laughs> Beef card? The Brazen Borrower, yeah. Yeah, the Robin Hood. That's the dude, right? No, no, Brazen Borrower is the click. Oh, okay, never mind, I like this card. I thought we were going to talk about the uh, the red guy. I was like, ugh. No, so this is four Delvers, four Dreadhorde Arcanists, two Grimag Anglers, and two Brazen Borrowers. So just straight up swapping the true names from the traditional Grixis Delver list to Brazen Borrowers. Okay. Makes it more, uh, gives you more ability to play at instant speed. Yep. And, I mean, it makes the deck a little bit more flexible. Plus, True Name, obviously True Name is a great card. But, it's kind of limited in the matchups it's great against, right? Yeah, and if people are going to be playing, like, really fast combo, that's traditionally the, the matchup where it matters the least, you know? Or, or if they're going to be playing Stifle Rug. Yeah, that too. Yep. So. So, yeah. That's, uh... 
pretty cool. I mean, it's showing up. Obviously, it's a new, you know, new cards are out. People want to fuck with them. So mm-hmm. somebody's going to somebody's gonna test it. But there were a total of three Brazen Borrower decks in the in this deck dump. So I, I like that people are playing it. Well, we like the card. Yep. It obviously, like, struck our fancy for what role it filled. Mm-hmm. And it really competes a lot in the three-drop spot, but it's new. People are going to try it out, like you said. So, yeah, next up, Kaz Urban. Uh, it's uh, Dooges on Twitch, or however you say it. With uh, two Charming Prince and Death and Taxes. And then I also wanted to mention that uh, Media Magicas had two Charming Prince in their Humans deck. Mm. So the Charming Prince getting there. Yep. And, it is. And two, there. two Deafening Silence also in the sideboard of that Death and Taxes deck. Yeah. So yeah, those are those are kind of the roles that we expected to see them in. Mm-hmm. And again, new people are going to play it. I, um... I'm not sold on it yet, so hopefully I'm wrong, but the list that I've seen have people cutting Flicker Wisp for Charming Prince, and I'm not sure if I want to do that. I could see that. I could see cutting one Flicker Wisp for one Charming Prince, just just for curve reasons, if, if you wanted to, you know? Like, that yeah. could be valid, but I'm not saying okay. that you should, but... That's yeah, like it's not it's not a one toughness creature, right. but yep. I I don't know. So next up, this is what we talked about, right? Uh, Once upon a time in black green depths, but we were kind of talking on our last episode about like what the list might look like with Once Upon a Time, and we we kind of agreed to defer to the depths pilots. Yeah, and apparently, when you add Once Upon a Time. To depths, you reincorporate uh, Elvish Spirit Guide. Well, giving you extra opportunity to be able to cast it on turn one makes sense. Yeah. So, like, turn zero obviously is great, but we talked about how if you if you aren't able to play it for th- for free and you draw it off the top, you are slowing yourself down and playing it in that sort of like mid range re- reload role. Mm. and spirit guide ramps that so you can actually cast it on curve and still combo off yeah i think that that's a that's pretty sweet inclusion that i hadn't thought about at all i hadn't seen that card out of depths in quite a while now yep so plus this... like you can you can hard cast it for two and then get a spirit guide to help ramp you the next turn i don't know yeah i don't know but it's just like another another hit, another potential. You know, you look at five cards, like maybe you need mana. Maybe this enables now you can turn two. Yeah. Like it's it's just another hit for your once upon a time that is sometimes relevant. So it seemed cool to me. I mean, I liked it. I'm not saying this is the optimal build. It's just the one that got published. But I think it's worthy of consideration. And obviously this card plays in, in black green depth, so... Yep, and I think that's what I, I, that's what I was thinking about. It took a little bit of selling to you, but like that's that's where I was at with it. The other, we didn't talk about this role for it, but I just I didn't think about it. But I love it. Is somebody played it in Infect? Ugh, do you love people playing Infect right now? No, 
But okay. if Infect were good, this card seemed perfect for Infect. But, like, do you really want to mulligan to a hand that doesn't have an Infect dude and has one of these and you're like, man, I hope I hit it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's better than nothing. You can So, first of all, it grabs You can just ink. mulligan again. I don't know. It grabs Ink Moth, Blighted Agent, or Glister Glister Elf. So right, you got twelve hits total. Yep. To to find a threat, or it can just find a land. You know, do the normal stuff that that once the you know the once upon time can do. Mm -hmm. I just I think that you know if you're gonna keep that sort of hand with like you know looking for like a ponder or something, I just think it might. Just fit this deck better than Ponder does, or at least okay. at least one copy will. I think that's like, wow. To say okay, so I understand what you're trying to say, but to say that this card is better than Ponder in the shell, no, just that's better like, than that's like better than the fourth Ponder, like the first Once Upon a Time. I think could definitely be better than the first, the fourth Ponder. I mean, this deck was always kind of strange with Ponder, right? Like it was playing like three for a while because there was no room. Yeah, it was always this kind of keep your blue count up, but you don't want to spin tires too much in like the post Cataxian probe world, right? Like how much, how fast is infecting to go versus having sort of card selection, right? Yeah, it was always this question, and I think once upon a time answers that question potentially if you have it in your open hand better than Ponder can. So okay, yeah, it sees it sees five instead of four, mm-hmm. so like the math checks out, obviously. Yep. But the the not playing it in your opening hand role, I think like drastically sways everything in Ponder's favor. Yeah. That could be true. Yep. That, that's definitely true. But I uh, dude, one card that I wanna I wanna see now with one spot time, like one card that's gonna be thinking about is Manglehorn. You know that card? Yeah, that's a three mana destroying artifact Shit. when it comes into play and they, it all enters tapped. No, that's not the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> Uh, well, there's that's one... what Manglehorn does, though, I, right? It is, yeah. It is. Okay. What's what the... card are you thinking of? I'm thinking of the Blood Rush creature. That's that's basically giant growth for attacking creature. For... Oh Jesus! Is it three two for yep. two and a green that Blood Rushes for one green. Yep. I was thinking about that when I saw it once upon uh, a time in this deck. <laughs> no, 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 Dude, no. Mono green infect. Make it happen, somebody. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> I swear, if you cast Blight Mamba, I'm never talking to you again. What's Blight Mamba? Blight Mamba. Oh man, it's a one in a green, one one regenerate for a green. In fact, isn't it? It could be. I never heard of it. Yeah, it's not playable. But if you want to play Mono Green Infect, you might need like another Infect guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, bro. So JJKBB. I'm going to need you to explain this one to me. Okay. Playing Once Upon a Time in Elves? Is this Elves? I mean, when you take Green Sun Zenith out, is it still, would you still just call it Elves? I mean, it's... Uh, it's still Elves. Like, the core of the deck is the same, right? Right, I mean, it's an Elves deck, yeah, for sure. But this is like... This is four Summoners packed Elves. So you're you're trying to to turbo out your infinite, right? Like you don't have uh, natural order. 
You don't have Green Sun Zenith. Right. You're playing Lotus Petal. You're literally looking to like start an infinite chain with your elves. Like this is a turbo try to get double heritage druid, nettle sentinel, a double sorry, double nettle sentinel. Like you're you're trying to do that. And Lotus Petal and Summoner's Pack do that. I don't I don't know whether or not this is real. Right? So has this historically been like have you seen anything like this before? Because I never have. Well you see it kind of in modern. Like it's like somebody took the modern L shell and put in um put in Lotus Petal and all the legacy legal cards. Yeah, so the other thing this deck has we should mention is four Elvish Spirit guys. So this is only twelve lands and then four Lotus Petals and four Elvish Spirit guys. So really turbo, like trying to commit, you know, two elves to the board on turn one. And then possibly go for it turn two, or worst case, I guess would be turn three. Yeah, I mean you're not you're not waiting till turn three with a deck like this. Like you are probably mulliganing extremely aggressively. And your payoff stuff, right? You have one Shaman of the Pack, one Crater Hoof. You yeah. have the Summoner's Pack to tutor them. But, like, you're really going all in on, I'm going to completely flood the board early and take advantage of the fact that nobody's playing Sweepers. So, I think a deck like this doing well right now is trying to say, all right, if you try to try to play Plague Engineer as an answer... I'm going to be quicker than you. Right. And nobody's playing any other sweepers. So this wasn't... I guess what I was trying to get at is, like, before... Let's say before Green Sun Zenith was printed or something. You know, like, was this elves? But apparently not, right? No. They had... They still had Natural Order. Right. And plus, like, that was a long-ass time ago. Yeah. Because this is, this is really not a direction I'd ever seen with this deck. So I wasn't sure if this was something new or something old. I wouldn't want to play this deck right because you're like you're more fragile and you don't have any of those come from behind cards that the regular elves deck has right like you're more you're more open to early disruption and you can't just top deck in natural order and win so i i don't know i don't know why this person's doing what they're doing but they apparently five owed yeah I mean, it's pretty sick, I guess, but I'm going to have to wait until I see it in action because there's a lot that it just seems super fragile to me, that's all. Yeah, I don't think you're going to. <laughs> so, you're probably right. That's, that's my take. So, HomHom86, this is actually not a uh, new cards in this deck. It's a card from M20 which is drawn from dreams, which to refresh people's memory is just dig through time. That's the two blue, two sorcery. Yep. And when, yep. when the set came out and we talked about the new cards in it, I, I mentioned, you know, this is dig through time for four mana, you know, does Omni want it? And we sort of settled on, you know, once, once you cast Omni, sure it's good or whatever, but just not being instant speed sort of doesn't give it enough, enough, uh, flexibility beforehand exactly like yeah. set up but you know somebody tried it this is with teferi so that kind of makes the sorcery speed less painful mm-hmm. 
So I, I can kind of see that now. Like, I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it. But this is like a blue-white army deck. But it's just interesting to see, you know, Jonathan Dream showing up. Yeah, you could also say that, like, all right, we have new throne cards that everybody's, like, trying out right now. So the average deck quality is a little bit less this week. That's true. So a, car- a card like that can sneak in into a 5-0 where if everybody's grinding rug against each other, it doesn't. You're absolutely right about that. That's a great point. So similarly, actually, Janky B with a blue-black-red <sighs> blue, Brineborn cutthroat deck. Do you have this deck pulled up? Uh, I I saw the cards in it. <laughs> Do you know what Brian Cutthroat is? No. It's from M20. It's a 2-1 with Flash. It's blue. It might be a Merfolk, but it's a... Blue. It's a Merfolk Pirate. Okay. And it gets, a, it gets a plus one counter every time you cast a spell on your opponent's turn. Okay. So, so it, it's kind, kind of, of like, like a, a... Like a Quirion, Rain, or Quirion Dryad yes. with a few extra steps. Yeah, man, Gordon Hydra, if you will. Sure, yeah. And I don't know, I just never even considered it. I played it a hundred times in Limited, I'm sure, but like I never really considered it for Legacy. But we have more in Vintage, really, seeing those cards like Great and Dread or Man Gorger Hydra show up from time to time. Mm-hmm. Not not really in the in the modern day so much, but this is a, this is a blue version of that card, so I guess it kind of makes sense that someone would try it eventually. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sold. No, I'm far from sold. It was just kind of cool to see it show up. I couldn't believe my eyes at first, but then also uh, I wanted to point out four drown the lock in this deck, and just yeah, the fact I... that somebody five o'd. Like we talk all the time, like when when somebody <sighs> has some silly card in their deck, like yeah, you know, oh. This person five owed. Oh, maybe they never drew that card or whatever. But this is, this is four drowning the locks. Yeah, and, and maybe, it's four Brineborn Cutthroat. Like yeah. <laughs> plays like Grixis Flash, except for the Jace. Yeah, I just I don't know. I think obviously the supporting cast around those cards in this deck is very very good, right? Yeah, I don't they're know playing. If you can four... take a look at Brineborn Cutthroat and be like, all right. This flash creature that doesn't get any value for you in a deck that like kind of kind of turns on your opponent's removal. I don't know if that's good. It's definitely not good against plow, right? But against bolt, it I guess you could find windows to, to grow it really quickly. I don't know about that. It's because you can't do it during your turn. It's not like you can like untap untap after you've cast it and like put a bunch of things on the stack when your opponent's tapped out, you only get counters on your opponent's turn? Well, no, so your opponent taps out, and then you cast it, and then I guess you'd have to very quickly cast, you know, two spells during their end step, so you need four mana for that scenario. But you could also, you know, just cast one spell, and then on their turn when they go to bolt it, if you can, you know, respond to that and grow it out of bolt range. I yeah, think, but that's like that's. It's a lot of that's work for three that, other spells included. Yeah, and it just right? gets bricked by Trunian, so it's like a lot of work for something that gets bricked by Trunian. Yeah, it does kind of take care of the 
traditionally this deck the clock wasn't very good against combo right so you were like trying to like nickel and dime people with strix and now you have snapcasters and cutthroats where you keep up your shields you do whatever yeah and then you can at least start swinging so maybe maybe it makes sense i just don't see it also this deck so four drown a lock which we mentioned but also four edicts two diabolic edicts and two Liliana's triumphs I mean, think about how much of a house that is against Rug. Yeah, dude. I, I guess if you're playing that much removal against a very threat light Rug deck, then who gives a shit what your threats are? Yeah. They could be a fucking 1-1 one, one flash for one with no bonus. And this is kind of like, you know, Brownborn Cutthroat can potentially battle with Tarmogoyf if you let it grow. You know, it's, uh... not, it's not like... Uh... It's not as useless as, as other cards that have been played, but it's not as good as Strix either, so. Okay. I, yes. That is a point. I At first, when I looked at this deck, I was like, oh, somebody, somebody you know, had 100 tickets or something and tried to play Legacy, but there's four Surgicals in the board, so I don't think, I think this was a legitimate thought experiment as opposed to, like, a budget consideration. Okay. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Just uh, salute to that 5-0. Obviously, they worked hard for it. Very hard. So when we talked about Wishclaw Talisman, I'm yep. pretty sure that the deck we had in mind was exactly what 42 AD played, right? Uh, absolutely not. Except, like, 42 AD... Yeah. They're, they're very special. They're super creative. <laughs> they play piles of cards that I would dump on and talk about what happened here. So this is Nick Fit in that it has four veteran explorers. That's pretty much where the Nick Fit ends. You know, it's got Cabal Therapy, Veteran Explorer, Thoughtseize, Green Sun, Zenith, Leobald, Scavenging Ooze, cards you expect to see in Nick Fit. Mm-hmm. It also has main deck, uh, well, it has the deeds that it would usually have, but it has two Sneering Bridges main, and... Mm-hmm. Three Karn Great Creators. So you have the Karn Great Creator main deck angle with the lattice sideboard. Yep. And then what really sets this deck apart from anything I've ever seen is four Wishclaw Talisman in the main deck, which Nick Fit seems like exactly the wrong deck to be playing Wishclaw Talisman. Because <laughs> you get your five drop and then your opponent kills you. Yeah, but... For Guardian Beast, and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to tell people about Guardian Beast because I imagine there's quite a few listeners who probably never heard of it. It's from Arabian Nights, three and a black for a two three beast. I imagine it might be a Guardian Beast. I don't know what the type lines were back then, but basically what it says is nobody can can steal your artifacts, and if your artifacts would go to the graveyard, they they come back to play. So this turns Wishclaw Talisman into just every turn tutor. Yeah, but you're playing a 3-4 creature with no protection to try to do it? A 2-3 creature, yeah. Sorry, yeah, 2-3. Three, 3-4 three, is like, that's like modern stats. No, 3-4 um, would be great, man. That, that yeah, would... I... It's cute. You know what I'm saying? Bro, I'm sorry. It's a two four. That's my fault. Oh, so that okay, actually maybe, is... maybe so it doesn't add a bolt. Maybe it is a little better. Yeah, it is a little better than I thought. But this is one of 
the four cards I believe I'm missing from my Arabian Nights set. And Ken, just, Ken Meyer Jr. artwork. Yeah, it's sick artwork. For anybody who hasn't seen it, it's like a beast with, like a purple beast with like six arms. Fucking beautiful card. Classic Arabian Nights card. And it really was a terror back in the day. And it's still a terror in like, in disco decks in old school. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, you could pair it with uh, Chaos Orb. Yep. And in the first tournament that they played, they had a special invitational where people played with the oversized cards. Yep. Guardian, Beast, and Chaos Orb won the tournament. You know, Imagine the, flipping like you a know, the first prize. Card. You know first yeah. prize in that tournament was? Uh, the number one DCI yep. number. Exactly. Yeah. I, I read my duelist back in the day. Yeah. Apparently. There we go. So yeah, four Guardian Beasts, man. I honestly didn't even realize that card was on MTGO. That shocked me. I didn't realize that there would be people that would be like, "I this is the card I want." <laughs> I I just I never would have thought of it. Yeah, this is but, this is not what I expected when I saw Talisman. I'm fucking awesome that somebody thought of this because I never in a million years would have thought of it. I never would have thought well, of Guardian Beasts and Legacy. You see, you see Swords Down. You see Bolt Up. You see ways of dealing with a fucking four toughness creature non-existent. Why yeah. not do some silly shit? And I mean, the the casting cost for Nick Fit, it's like whatever, you know? Three and a black, like, that. that's equivalent to like one and a black for other decks because you're mulliganing to veteran explorer hands, so. If you're, getting, if you're playing against a plow deck and your veteran explorer isn't going to die... It, you were going to lose that game anyway, basically. So you're kind of just ride or die, you know, not playing against Plow, and then this deck's probably amazing. True. Because, like, how do you lose with a Demonic Tutor every turn, even though you're playing this deck? Uh, you die before right. you get to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that's how. That's how. That's a good point. So two appearances on this deck dump for Maraxis of the Netherlands. We missed that, right? We missed what? Uh, Maraxis. The Royal Scions? Oh, never mind. We didn't, we, we talked about that. I thought we talked about how, like, we didn't think it was very good. Or at least I said that. Yeah, well, I, I didn't think it was as good as I originally thought either. But... This deck, so we we both acknowledged that if it was going to show up, it was going to be in a Dreadhor Arcanist deck, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this deck that um, we've sort of been discussing for a while now, which is like the the blue white red. Now now blue white red mentor has these other connotations, which is more of like a control deck, but like a blue white red where your creatures are just pyromancer, Dreadhor Arcanist. And uh, Mentor. I'm sorry. Snapcaster, Dreadhor Arcanist, and Mentor. Yep. And this is kind of a next evolution of that with three copies of the Royal Scions and uh, one Improbable Alliance, which I never thought would show up. But it's kind of just a cute card in here. I'm not going to give too much credence to that. I think that Royal Scions is the card that deserves more attention from this list. Yeah, I... I obviously think that it seeing play and showing up makes a lot of sense, but man, this deck dump is this deck dump is ten ply. 
Bro, it, it's it's wild west out there. Compared to what we saw, this is why I'm so happy to see this deck dump, because compared to what we saw coming out of Philly, that was like straight chalk and like this super restricted metagame. This yeah, deck but we had a grand just... we had a Grand Prix coming up for that, right? For what? For last week's deck dump? The week before? No, I'm saying compared to what we saw for Philly, like today, like earlier. Oh, this okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. This is. I just thought you were like, comparing it to deck dumps from like a month ago. No, no. I don't think we've even. Or I haven't even been looking at them, but the other appearance for Maraxis of NL on the deck dump is blue black Delver with four Vantress Gargoyle, and this is a fucking. This is a mind fuck. And a brazen borrower just for good measure. But this is just basically like you take Death Shadow and you put in Vantress Gargoyle instead of Death Shadow and voila, right? I mean it's a flying Tarmogoyf. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked. So I don't I first of all I don't really like Vantress Gargoyle. But I wouldn't be surprised if this was as good as Death Shadow. I I think that Death Shadow takes a very specific spot in the metagame where it's not really comparable. On the high end, like max value wise, Death Shadow is insane. And this is like never gonna be that top end when you're in a metagame where like the blue black shadow discard When you're packages. trying to prey on like show and tell and stuff. Right. Yeah. This is never going to do that. But it's probably better in a metagame that's more balanced like we have now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the... I guess that's fair. That's kind of what I was thinking is like... Shadow's kind of invalidated by the lack of the combo decks that it preys on right now. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. This seems cool. And it's cool to see Vantress Gargoyle show up. Because it's not a card to get a lot of respect. There were some people that were hyped about it. Yeah, supposedly. So Alright, so the next one. Talk <laughs> about it. I think you deserve the honors on this one. <sighs> Wing Zero FNC. Mind Harness. They heard us talking about it. Do you think so? Oh, no. Absolutely not. It's a one-of in the sideboard. Like, uh, what... What are they looking to take? What What do you think is the card that this is in the sideboard to fight against? So this is, um, so you should say, this is show and tell. This is like yeah, stock. It's straight red, blue, show and tell. Yeah. So Knight of the Reliquary? Uh, like, well, I don't fucking know. That's why I thought that maybe this was somebody you knew and you were being serious that they were just fucking with us. No, 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 no. So like, I, I think... The Mind Harness is such a great answer to Night of the Reliquary that the only thing that I can think is like this person maybe played against a bunch of the green white depth decks and they're like, oh man, Mind Harness would be a great answer to Night. And you bring it in against a green white creature based deck and your opponents aren't keeping in their targeted removal against Grizzlebrand and Emrakul. They might if their sideboard plan like allows for it, but. Uh, mind harnessing your Maverick or Green White Depths opponent's Knight on turn two or turn one. Sorry, turn two. That's you're gonna win that game. They're not gonna have an answer for it. So yeah, it seems pretty sick. 
I also I was thinking about taking a Dreadhorde Arcanist would be fine. Yeah, it's tough though, right? Because like you gotta pay the for it. you have the cumulative upkeep that you're paying for, and you want to be able to like develop your board with cantrips. And yes, you're getting to cast one free from the graveyard, but it wouldn't be bad. I don't know if I'm bringing that in against a like a rug deck. Yeah, I I think I would still bring it in if I had it. I wouldn't put it in my sideboard in the first place for that reason. But you know, just take a take a goyf, take a dreador arcanist. It could buy you a turn or two, right? Like against Goyf or whatever, if that's if that's their their entire board and you just take it, it's not like they're gonna have removal for it. I guess True. they could blast it, but <sighs> I don't know, man. I think this person just might have a little crush on you. Well, it's a great card. Um Wing Zero, I love you. So a card that you had no respect for at all. None. Shows up. Immediately. So, what, the card that I think everybody was highest on was Mystic Sanctuary, right? Yeah. We saw exactly one copy of Mystic Sanctuary in this deck dump. We saw two copies, so plus 100%, twice as many, of Mystical Dispute. Mystical Dispute, to refresh people's memory, is two in a blue mana leak. Or just single blue mana leak for a blue spell. So you know how we talked about how like that casting cost when it failed just made it made it worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you're fucking trying to cascade yeah. and you can't have any ones or twos, that three is a pretty big deal. Bro, it's pretty sick, right? And I totally didn't even think about cascade because like Shardless Bug isn't a really a thing anymore, quote unquote. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody did. They're like, oh yeah, natural fit into hypergenesis. If you saw that, good for you. Yep. So, well, obviously somebody saw it because here it is. But I mean, let's say Shardless was a deck again. This is like an, a use case that we totally missed. I mean, I did say it was worth considering in blue decks that didn't play red because I would just rather have blast every time. But mm-hmm. if Shardless was a deck again, I think that this would. Just be a cyborg card for that. For that, what would it take for Shardless to be a deck again? Like, it's so far gone from the meta that we think about. What would it take to bring it back? Well, so here's or is the it thing: it's just dead forever. It was gone, but there's there's been a a couple printings that I think would have helped it, which are well, there was Crash of Rhinos, and people did fuck around with it a little bit when that card came out, but then also. Uh, Force of Negation and Force of Vigor are two cards that really fit well into Shardless. And you think Force of Vigor would have changed its position? No, no, no. It's just a nice card, but Force of Negation okay. is a big one. I agree with that. And actually, it's it's in the sort of the rare spot where it could actually be helped also by the, the printing of Prismatic Vista. It would it would probably consider those. So okay, I I'm not sure that that it's playable right now. Like, I wouldn't want to be taking Shardless into a rug meta. But it does have more tools than it had when it was invalidated, you know, because because of Force Negation. Really. Okay. Now, I feel like when Rug was in its... Or, sorry, when um, Shardless was in its heyday, it was even trimming on forces. Right. So, like, the... You have an extra force 
argument wouldn't really matter because the deck when it was really well positioned was only playing like three right yeah no that's that's true but like uh to to be able to sideboard into i guess just a half game because it seems like the combo decks right now would just shit all over shardless yeah so at least they would have you know 10 cards to bring in now or whatever okay Uh, that's interesting man i mean the loss of death right shaman yeah, obviously, like that—that that was the triggering point. But maybe, maybe I was trying to think if that deck is like permanently dead. Yeah, it, it probably is. It might be. It, it might be. Dude, I wonder. Hmm. They could play Ren. Like four color Shardless. Yep. Cascade into Ren. I did. I, or like Bant Bant Shardless splash Red. Yep. I did play that deck through a couple weeks. Now that we're talking about it, I forgot. But it wasn't very good. Like a rug shardless. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Anyway, that's uh. Oh yeah, no Oko's in the deck dump. So there we well, go. Well, next week, next week there's gonna be like ten Oko's. You said, and I think the ultimate's gonna be up. And then I cut it. Uh, like I just I silenced it. Okay. And then we kept on going. Nice. Bro, were you drinking this this episode? Yeah, a shit ton. Were you uh, drinking the Tide Pods? No, why? Do you know about the Glenlivet Tide Pods? Oh, I saw them. They're yeah. like seaweed encapsulated scotch. I got a Twitter. So I'm not gonna get today. those. I have real scotch that I don't need to like eat in a bubble. But Glenlivet trying to innovate. So. Um, so you know how like the the advertising laws are you're not allowed to show people drinking? Like yeah. you can have people holding drinks and stuff, but Yeah. They were popping them in their mouth. So like what I couldn't understand about it and couldn't find because you can't show it, is like does it all dissolve at once and your mouth just gets full of a whole shot of scotch? Or does it you like poke a hole in it with your tooth and it just slowly leaks into your mouth? Uh I I think that it probably it probably disintegrates from your saliva and you get like a sort of gusherish whiskey drop. The Oko Blast? Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing about how how good or bad it is from you. They're like four... Never mind. They're too expensive for a three-pack. You can just get a bottle. Plus, like, Linlivet's not bad, but it's not what I'm going to spend money on. Agreed. Yep. So right. I got a Yankees game to catch the end of. What time is the Sox uh, game, by the way? They're not. They're not playing oh, anymore. I'm what sorry. about the Jets? How are the fucking Jets doing, bro? I don't even know if the Jets played this week. I swear to God, like they're so irrelevant from like a fantasy perspective. And I just was golfing. I didn't like watch football this week at all. So, but you're a fan, right? Not really. The, the only team I really care about, besides BC football, is the New York Rangers hockey. Okay. And they're fucking great. So, that's what it is. If people want to reach you on Twitter to give you their reviews of Glenn Livet, Tide Pods, how do we do that? At TSmileyMTG. If you want to send the Glenn Livet Tide Pods, you can reach us at deadformatcast at gmail.com. That's right. And please do not send anything about Tide Pods, Glenn Livet or otherwise, to Ian18125 on Twitter. 
you can all right that's a wrap all right peace peace man